0: church (laughs) Uh, that is nts uh, never the same conference for for youth and um, that'll be coming up you'll have more information about that but that is for 7th through 12th grade Um, if you have any students any children that are would be interested in something like that doing youth ministry all the years that i've done it uh, it's one of the highlights of being a youth minister because you get to remember what it's like to be a kid (laughs) and be that excited about jesus and And not just that, but see some of these kids experience Jesus for the first time and know that they're not alone. That there's other Christians that love Jesus, Christian teenagers that love Jesus more than this world. So that'll be coming up June 19th through the 23rd. Uh, We'll have more information about that, so be looking out for that. Um, It's a great opportunity and fun, a lot of fun. Um, If you're new here, we're glad you're here. Uh, you can text to 219-233-2311 or uh, we would love to talk with you in the back Get to hear your story. Uh, we have a guest services area where we can give you a gift and uh, Possibly a hug if you need a hug. Uh, we'd love to hear your story uh, know your your faith walk and uh, answer any questions you have about rethink and, and um, What you liked or what you didn't like about here, right? <laughs> what you like that's all we want to hear uh, uh, we're going to get to tithing time, and so if, if you're new with us, you can kind of take a break. If you're not new with us, listen listen close. Um, Yahoo Finance posted an article, 13 uh, things successful people do in the first 10 minutes of a work day. I don't know how much I can believe this. It takes me 10 minutes to decide what cereal I'm going to eat, so uh, we'll go through this list. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah. There's the order. They're in order. They reflect. Again, 13 things successful people do in the first 10 minutes of a workday. They reflect, they take a moment to pause and be present, they get comfortable, they review their to-do list, uh, make any necessary, or mentally, they map out their day, uh, necessary adjustments and they map out their day. They prioritize, they stretch, stand, walk, they take time to greet their team, uh, they take the temperature reading of their staff or coworkers, They organize their workspace area. They strategically check emails. They anticipate and avoid distractions. They smile and laugh. (laughs) They take a moment to be grateful. Um, uh, It's it's a pretty convicting list, I mean, because you read some of those things, and and it kind of comes along with the the whole spiritual disciplines we're talking about. It's like, you, you read things like this, and you're like, man, this is talking to me. Like, this is an advice I give to somebody else, it's like, <laughs> I need to be doing this. Yeah. And uh, the, the first five of those lists, you can see it's about prioritizing, right? Um, surrendering to God. This can relate to tithing. We surrender to God. We are obedient. And, and when we tithe, we realize the world doesn't revolve, revolve around us, right? It's not about us. <laughs> when we tithe, we get to partner with God, who is the king of everything, this is his kingdom, and we get to serve in it. We get to partner by giving and being obedient. We prioritize that in our life. Uh, That could be hard, uh, and I can relate. It is hard to prioritize your money to God and to his kingdom sometimes, but we get an opportunity to do that. And then the next five is being grateful, right? The smiling, the laughing. And and that could be hard for some people because we want God. To serve us. (laughs) We look like, God, like, I met you halfway. Like, come on, God, what are you going to do for me? Or uh, like uh, Mark said last week, we we ask God to be in the midst of our struggle or our environment. And he's been working the whole time. God's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I've been carrying you this whole time. Uh, We get to be grateful. Like, we serve a God who loves unconditionally. Yeah. Our cup overflows, and we don't get to like we don't see that, but we get to the pause and reflect and be grateful when we give. Uh, today we're going to have a couple opportunities to give, and there's a couple ways to give. You can go to rethink.cc, click the give tab and give there, or there's a black box in the back where you cannot write a check or put money in. Uh, and then at the end of the service, we'll have another opportunity to give. And again, this is we're not trying to pull your leg or make you do something don't want to do, but we do want you to reflect and think about prioritizing your finances and being grateful that God even allows us to give back to him what's already his, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So as Mark comes up today, he's going to continue the Sabbath. Uh, let's pray. Abba Father, we love you. Uh, thank you so much um, that a small, insignificant uh, human can mean so much to you. Everyone in this room, God, we have struggles, we have a path that we're on, we have a past, we have a present and a future, and you see it all, Um, and you prioritize us, God. Uh, You prioritized us from the beginning, and uh, you're so grateful for us, and you sing over us, and we uh, are held in your hands, God, and in your wings, and you just take care of us all the time, Uh, things that we don't even see, and we're grateful for that, God. I pray that everyone this morning can have a spirit of gratitude towards you and be grateful. Uh, open our minds and hearts to your word. Uh, bless Mark as he brings the word this morning, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey,
1: good morning, welcome to church. My name is Mark I'm the pastor of church, and I'm thrilled. I think this is somewhere around like six years as a church, somewhere in this birthday time, like somewhere six years ago as a church, we started services. My family and I, we moved here from Michigan, and uh, we decided, hey, let's help lead people into a maturity relationship with Jesus. One of the ways that we get to just kind of step into a community, because in your mid-30s, you should do something like that, right? Like when you don't know anyone, and just do this. So, uh, as I work through, and I start coaching uh, pastors, especially church planters, people who want to do this, I make a distinction with them. I say, hey, do you want to start a church service, or do you want to actually start, start a church? Because they're not the same. If you want to church, start, start a church service, By all means, you can do all that. You're going to get the biggest crowd you can do. And as long as you have people and shows and spa machines and all that, you can entertain people a lot for an hour, right? But if you want to start a church, there's a whole different ballgame about this. So as we've been working through this, this is one of the things. And one of the main differences in this is we want to help disciple people, help people become followers of Jesus better. And this is where I would say if you've not signed up for Rooted yet, you've not gone through Rooted, this is a great thing for you to do. So go to the website, sign up for it, and all that, and learn to follow Jesus, no matter where you are in this whole spectrum of faith. You know, exploring faith and following Jesus really is a great way for us to, to work through that. So, uh, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, what we've decided to do is let's say, and uh, we've been adapting the practices now. Practices, the disciples, the, the, the disciplines, the habits, whatever you want to call it. It's how we actually want to form our life to be followers of Jesus. Now, we live in the Western world, and most of our Western ideologies, even our education system, would say as long as you have the right thoughts, then you're good, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, One Greek philosopher said that we are basically, our bodies are walking sticks with a brain on top. And as long as you have the right thoughts, you're good, right? And so this is one of the challenges. This is what Jesus steps into and says, actually, let's think about this. Can you, can you embody something else? Can you put your body into like living and experience the whole idea of following Jesus and, and living the way that he would want us to live? And this is part of that process that we need to work through when it comes to following Jesus, it's not about just having the right thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's actually about putting our bodies and our lives into the right practices and resting what, uh, what Russell was saying. is like slowing down and then all of a sudden now you hear things, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm here with my thoughts. And now I get to hear this and feel this, right? And and you know this, when you have those thoughts, what happens to your body? Your heart rate goes up, you get a little, like if you're speaking, you start like stuttering a little bit, that's all this process because you're not just a walking body with a brain on top. You're a soul, we're embodied souls. And so this is part of that process that I absolutely love getting to walk through and stuff like that. In my class a couple weeks ago we worked through, don't avoid stress, be better at stress. Manipulate through stress. And don't let people know that you're stressed out. Because if you do, if you're in this is and people know that you're stressed out, they're gonna pounce on you. So learn how to do this without giving away the signs of this. So I have this thing that I do, uh, every time I get a little nervous, I do my shoes, I do feet fist. You don't know that I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. And so I literally make fists with my feet and I just kind of let it go, right? Because there's times where it's like, okay, God, I have no clue what I'm doing here. I'm literally just winning stuff, right? but I can't let you know this, or whoever I'm speaking to know this. And so that's part of the process, right? Because we're not just walking bodies with with a brain on our head. We literally have like a whole body and soul and stuff like that that goes with this. And so this, let me just, I'll be very transparent today. I told Heather this on Thursday. I walked out of here at midnight on Thursday and at a 5 a.m. workout class. I had parent-teacher conferences that Thursday, and I walked into Thursday not necessarily knowing what I was going to preach about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew what I was going to preach about on the Sabbath, but, like, there's a whole lot more, to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so by Friday at 530, I told you guys, I shut down everything, and then I say, okay, whatever I have, I have And that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so I told Heather, I said, this is an act of worship, and this is part of the Sabbath. Part of the Sabbath rhythm is where you stop, you rest, you delight, and then you worship. And you just simply say, okay, God, I've done my best. Whatever it is, it is. Does that make sense? And so here's an act of worship for you, saying, <laughs> Hey, I got something. I don't know if it's good, but I got something. Does that make sense? And so when at midnight, when I was like almost falling asleep in my office, going, okay, I've literally got like, I've got to go to bed right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't think I fell asleep until like 1, one 30 but I walked out of here like at 50% of my sermon. All right? So that in mind, let's jump into it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Um, and We're going to get to Matthew chapter 11 here at the beginning, okay? So Matthew chapter 11, it's Jesus going to be talking to a bunch of people, uh, and we'll get there, but as you're getting there, let's walk through this, okay? Most experts say that we are living in the midst of three revolutions, that we don't even necessarily know it. The first one's a financial revolution, where for the majority of human history, our economic systems were attached to our land. That we own land, you could use that resources to grow wheat. You could use it to, to raise animals, feed your animals, all that kind of stuff. Buy and sell, barter, and all that based on your land. Around like Jesus's time, somewhere in there, <coughs> we moved to what we call currency, where coins are obviously with gold and stuff like that. But then there's paper bills representing the gold that we had. And so it's always ba- like our currency's always been based on what we actually own, right? And then, somewhere in the, the 19th, or sorry, the, the 20th century, we moved to these digital forms of money. Where now, in 2023, we get to wave our magic wands our phones and somehow we transfer money and we call it good. Does that make sense? Here's, the, here's the, the main issue of this one, though. MIT did a study saying that when we pay with cash, when we actually pay with bills, it activates the pain sensors of our brains. When we just wave our magic wands or debit cards and stuff like that, what we're doing is we're actually not feeling any of this. And McDonald's in the 90s was the, was the first major corporation that said, hey, let's put our debit card machines in here. Let's put credit card machines in here. Up to this point though, in business world, people like business owners were extremely nervous that people would go into debt, rack up credit card debt to buy groceries, to pay for McDonald's and stuff like that because what would it do for the economy if everybody was based on debt just so you can get a habit, and now what do we do at McDonald's, right? But when you pay with cash, you're actually saying, okay, you're on the dollar menu, right? You're not supersizing that, you're not getting that floor, you're not like you're limiting because you're activating the pain sensors of your brain. But with with the economic revolution here, now I can literally apple pay whoever I want to with pay, and do I actually feel it? Probably not second revolution we're looking through is the the, what i would call the progress revolution the progress i read this this line in this report that i was reading and that human progression like the world that we live in progressed at the pace of digestion think about it you eat or your animals would eat they would have energy they would expend the energy and then they would digest and then they would rinse and repeat does that make sense now with machines all you need to do is keep that gasoline going, keep the energy, electric going, and stuff like that. And our, and our progress is going faster and faster, we're able to do more, yeah. but we're actually feeling what we're doing. And now we have artificial intelligence. And the robots are taking over, Terminator is coming back, and all <laughs> that, right? Like, that's, that's where we're headed. That's the progress, right? The third, the third revolution we're living through is an information level of, of uh, revolution. It's how we actually get information. No longer do we need to have a deep collective memory as a community. No longer do we need the old stages to tell us what the good old days were like. All you have to do is YouTube it or Google it, right? YouTube is the second largest search engine in all of the internet. That's what YouTube really is. It's a search engine that gives you videos and not articles to read. And so now you don't actually need to talk to somebody who's older than you. You can just youtube it right you don't have to talk to somebody who experienced whatever that thing was and so now we have this disconnected thing and the, and the with each revolution we're gaining something but we're also losing something think about the financial revolution we're no longer attached to our land we don't feel the land right and we don't actually feel what we're what our animals are going through what we're going through and the, produ- the production of small batch beers or breads or whatever based on what we grew in our own garden. Does that make sense? Would the, would the, the information no longer we have connection to the older generations? We would never say this out loud, but we've actually treated older generations like you don't actually matter. We won't say that out loud because that's horrible and harsh, but how do we treat an older generation? We send them off to living sp- like places to live. Does that make sense? We don't actually want to invite them into our space. And so we treat older generations like, well, we just Google things. We know we, think, we know things now, right? Mm-hmm. And parents, you know this. Watching your kids trying to Google things or internet, like, YouTube things and all that is not the same as actually knowing how to do it, right? right? And so the, now the, 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 the progress revolution is one of these more disconnected things as well. Because here's the deal. Technology's always sold on to us with two things. Four things in total, but I would say we meant two things. The phrase of this, let me just read it really quickly. Because of this, uh, I, we will gain something, like we'll, we'll now be able to do something, but then the second thing that that is always sold out to us is we no longer have to do something. Mm-hmm. Think about this, like I, I can now wave my magic wand and I can purchase things, does that make sense? Like I can click buttons on Instagram and buy something, and it comes to my door and it comes I don't have to go to a store. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I would say that we also have to remember that there's two other things. We no longer will be able to do film. and the When's the last time you memorized a phone number? Great. Wow. Right? You don't have to. You no longer have that capability. And you know, I'll be honest, I don't even know my son's phone number. That's horrible. I'm working on it, but I don't. I have Heather's memorized, don't worry about that. But if my sons were to actually like, hey, what's my, I have no clue, sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because have a computer that does it, right? But here's the fourth thing. Now you have to do something, right? Now you have to use currency. You can no longer just say, hey, you can have part of my land, all you grow crops on my land and stuff like that. Now you have to actually use currency, right? 20 years ago, pastors never had to deal with social media. But now if you want to be relevant, I've been told I'm supposed to, so I do. Right? Yeah. Not that I want to, you know what I mean? But that's part of the process. So in this, in the midst of these three revolutions going on right now, the, the the financial, the intellectual, the progress revolution, all these things are going on. We're gaining some things, but we're losing some things. But we're also gaining some things that are really, really crucial to us. We're seeing a spike in the last 70, 50 to 75 years of mental anxiety, uh, mental health crisis stuff like that we're seeing it on, on the rise we're seeing more suicides within pastors in the last five to ten years churches that if you were looking at the pattern like just on the outside man like mega churches they're growing they're doing all this other stuff and and pastors literally getting up just like um i think it was last year this pastor got up and it took a sabbatical four months sabbatical, came back preached one sermon and that afternoon committed suicide because of the pace of these revolutions, because of the pace of what's actually going on inside of us. We're interacting with certain things, but we're not feeling certain things. And, and, and when we do set, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when the waters of our lives actually set, we don't know what to do with it because we like to have things stirred up. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. But what the spiritual disciplines are having us do is, is to pause and just let it sit mm-hmm. and let us actually feel the things we're going through. The silence and solitude one we're doing it throughout the day a couple times, a couple moments. Does that make sense? Yeah. The Sabbath is one we're gonna stop, we're gonna literally rest for 24 hours. We're gonna stop. We're gonna rest. We're gonna delight. And then we worship. And part of the stopping, what we're stopping is we're gonna stop working. We're gonna stop worrying. We're gonna stop wanting. We talk about this like the, we talked about this last week that the Sabbath is kind of like a Bob Ross painting at these punk rock demonstrations and protests, right? Like It's like, oh, this is how it should be. This is like the garden in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But there's also like this way of resistance to the machine. And part of the Sabbath, what we're actually doing here, is that we're stopping. And so <clears throat> there's this reality that we have to understand that we're not the only generation who've lived through revolutions before, that Jesus was living in an occupied zone, basically, ruled by the Romans, he has King Herod above him as well, or one of the King Herods, and then now he has all this taxation, 85% of taxation in his day and age. Right? How are you going to pay for this? How are you going to do this? He, his, his dad's family, his dad's generation, moved from a very well-known part of Bethlehem to this new territory called Nazareth, and he was establishing this, he started his own business in this, and somewhere the, along the way he lost his earthly father. We don't know on or how or whatever, but now he's isolated. He's not the only person who's gone through this. And now he has his way of life. And he makes this claim in chapter, Matthew chapter 11, come to me and I'll give you rest. How do you live in that kind of situation, claim that you can give somebody rest? What does that even look like? And part of that is, is we have to actually put ourselves into this practices. The early church, the same thing. As bad as our politicians are, they're nowhere near like the emperors and Caesars of Rome right we have to keep that in mind and yet we have this, this author jamie smith says this we cannot think our way to christ like this we can worship our way to christ like this and we have to learn this and worship is not three songs that we sing in one one song on one sunday morning right yeah. it's actually what we get to actively do every single day we get to literally give our lives as a, as a way of, of worship yeah. and so Worship is, imagine if you treated worship like you treated your meals, right? Would you only eat one meal a week? Probably not, I would last like, mm, I'm good, and I'll oh, just go eat, right? I would think about it, and then i get hungry, and then I'd go, eat, right? <laughs> so part of this process is learning how to deal with this, right, and so we wouldn't approach our physical bodies with meals and stuff like that, but well, some of us, we approach worship in that same way. And no wonder the thoughts that get in your head and just kind of cycling and all this. Yeah. And no wonder we want to distract ourselves instead of just sit.
0: Yeah.
1: No wonder every time we feel like this, the water is starting to settle, we just stir things up because we're not at, we're not trying to be Christ like this, right? And I'll be honest, like, the, the church's response to the mental health crisis has probably been lacking. Mm-hmm. We've probably just said, "Pray it away, mm-hmm. think better thoughts, wave magic wands about it." Like, not we wouldn't say magic wands, but like. We would say these things. And, and what I would say is, is yes, it's counseling. You, some of you know my story. I was deep into counseling for several, like, a couple of years, uh, coming out of being a pastor. And then now I'm like, okay, let's step back into it. And daddy issues that I don't have in my own life and stuff like that. And so I believe in counseling, but I also, like, there should be an end to counseling. It should be a, there should be a term of it that you can, like, okay, Jesus, you literally raised people from the dead. You can transform my broken heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can walk in that victory. Sometimes you need that, in- that <laughs> counselor who can walk you through it and say, hey, you're in the cycle. Just get out yeah. of the cycle. Get out of yeah. Right? And some of us, we actually need to work through it. But I th- once again, putting these into practice help us get along that path. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you get along that path, and all of a sudden you start working this out, and then you start feeling it, and you start thinking it, and you're like, okay, here I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, here's the, here's, let me just give you the challenge. Here's the, the challenge. It's going to be a challenge for you. I'll give you the warning. It's not gonna be natural. You're gonna to have to strive for these things. Thomas and Wayne have said this, that we avoid the arduous good in our own life. Arduous meaning the challenge, the strife, and all this. And we've bought into stupid lies from the pit of Satan, in my opinion, that if something is challenging, it must be bad. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and if, it's, if, it's, if I have to earn it, if I have to work for it, then I must not want to do it. Mm-hmm. In an education, we're called, called the growth mindset, fixed mindset world, right? But this is the deal. Look, if it's something good, you should have to actually go work for it. And it may be a challenge for you. Parents, we know this. Parenting is not an easy job. It is arduous. Right? Marriage, same thing. If you've ran a marathon, if you've gone through a workout goal and stuff like that, all of those things are arduous. Why would we expect your spiritual development and spiritual maturity to be easy? That's good. Unless you just want Jesus to do it all for you. Which, by the way, he did not make you a robot. You're not artificial intelligence. As much as you want to be, you're not determined. Right? So, so suck it up, buttercup, and let's get it going. Alright? So, with that in mind, now let's get back to chapter 11. Alright? I told you to get there. But, so, actually, let me set this up a little bit more. Sorry. But then I realized, I made this statement last week, that I believe that Jesus was part of the Pharisees. Let me just work this through, Okay? If you read the Gospels, and you're, which you should be, you're going to see this conversation between Jesus and a group of people called the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. The Pharisees are a group of people who, in my opinion, are, are probably honored and respected by the people of Jesus' day, especially in Israel. So, in Jesus' day, the, the the position of the high priest no longer was a, or was a position that God would ordain. It was a purchased position. So, the kingdom of Israel is this puppet kingdom of Rome, they established under the, the King Herod, the, who like during the Christmas story when Jesus, when Herod wants to kill all the two-year-old babies of Bethlehem, that's King Herod. Mm-hmm. So he's there as a buffer kingdom between the Parthians and Nabataeans and Rome. And so he's there. And so he decides who wants to be the king the high priest. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so Jesus' day, there's a guy named Caiaphas who owns, he's the high priest. He also owns 80 to 85% of the flocks of the sheep around Jerusalem. Which, if you're reading through the sacrificial system, sheep are really, really important to the temple sacrifice. So, you would have a system of a pre-approved, you could purchase a pre-approved sheep as, as you went to Jerusalem. The, the, the priesthood was so corrupt, it was so tainted, the people of Israel absolutely hated it, but in order for them to worship Yahweh, they had to go to the temple. There's a group of priests, uh, they, they, they isolate themselves, and I think Zacchaeus and... Um, John the Baptist are part of this, and they established what we call the Qumran society. Up in Qumran, they literally isolate themselves, they get away from the whole priesthood. It's also how we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, so there's some good in this. Um, but the whole people, the, the, the group of the Israelites, absolutely despised the priesthood. And there's a group of people who said, if, if there's like almost a superstition. If every single Israel would just obey all 613 commandments, For one to two days, every single way, then God would actually rescue and redeem the nation of Israel. But how do you get millions of people to obey 613 commandments all at once? Right? That was the superstition. And so what they decided to do was to start teaching the word of God to the people. So Pharisees set up the synagogues Pharisees set up the education system. These rabbis would go into these com- communities and they would teach kindergarten. And kindergarten was basically the Old Testament, Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Teach it, obey it and let this out, right? And so the Pharisees were a group of people who were everyday group of people, they were not priests, they were not part of the elite screwed up system that exploited people. They were part of the people. They had their own jobs. And they would teach the word of God to, to the nation of Israel. There's two schools of found Pharisees. The first one was a, guy, a rabbi named Hillel, and Hillel was like more lenient in the sense of like it's the letter, it's the, it's the heart of the law, not the letter of the law. And they would just trust God. And they would say, God's gonna provide, God's gonna take care of you, and all this. Their mantra, like because every every rabbi would have this, like, What's the second most important commandment? Everybody agreed that the most important commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and in your mind. That was not the debate, right? Mm-hmm. This, the most important was the second one, and they would say, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Mm-hmm. That was how teaching. Shammai, however, was a more strict person, and he would say he was more zealous. He was more like the Maccabean type guy, where it was like, "Because of the zeal that I have for the Lord God." and zeal meaning that he would kill people who defied him, and the, the, the law, and stuff like that. And so, like, if you are a dis- disobedient kid, then yeah, you should stone your kids. Because that's what it says in the Bible. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, literally the letter of the law type thing. And so, when you see the Pharisees asking Jesus questions, and stuff like that, I think when, which by the way, they're sitting around one time, and Jesus gets asked the question. What's the most important commandment in the, in the Old Testament? And what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your body. heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's siding with the love. So I think some of the internal issues that you see throughout all the Gospels, and you know this, like when you have fight with spouses, when you fight, are you a little bit more passionate with your spouse than when you fight with your friend at work? Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> Right? The gloves come off, there's no filters, you're passionate. I think what Jesus actually, I think what the gospel authors are writing are these lovers' quarrels with Jesus and the Pharisees. I think he's so passionate, saying, You guys can almost there, and you can see this. How would you not see this? And like, we'll read it in a little bit. He doubts them all the time. Don't you know your scriptures? Don't you read the scriptures? Like, how, how can you be so smart, but yet so stupid at the same time? And all the parents are like, hey, Amen. and ask my teenage boys all the time, right? Organize So, we all have those moments where you're just like, how do you not see this? And then you also have this group of uh, Pharisees who are more zealous and they plot to kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? So, with that in mind, let's read to Matthew chapter 11. Now we'll get there, okay? So, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So, here's what it says At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. When you start to phrase that praise you, Father, who are you talking to? God. God. He's in the middle of a prayer. He's praying in the midst of this. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, or maybe your church to say being intelligent. And you reveal them to these little children, or maybe your translation says infants. Yes, Father, it was you who, it was for your good pleasure. Uh, verse 27, all things have been committed to me by your Father. No one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the, the Father except for the Son, uh, who the Son has chosen to reveal him. Now come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me, and upon you will learn to be gentle and humble of heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, <clears throat> all of that to say, when Jesus is praying, and all of a sudden he's praying, and he's saying, here's, here's one of the harsh realities. Following Jesus is a dose of humility. Right? it's a dose of humility, and anyone who arrogantly says, I follow Jesus because of whatever, you know it's your by the truth, right? Yeah. What Jesus says to the wise and the learned or the intelligent, man, wise and learned and intelligent people rely on themselves. Mm-hmm. Infants rely on the people. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be, if you want to actually live this out and follow me, learn to rely on me. Not on me, myself. But here in America, we have this, this religious mantra of pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, do your own thing. Like, and yes, we have personal responsibility. Don't me wrong about that. One. But what we have to understand is, I think what Jesus is actually trying to get us to understand is this work that we have could be relied on. The idea of a yoke is a set of teaching in a rabbinical sense, but in an agricultural sense, what is it? It's a tool to do some work, Right? It's this thing that connects two opposing things together, and they get some work done. Not opposing, but different things, individual things, right? And so you take two oxen and you put them under a yoke, and now you can carry the load and distribute dis- the load evenly. What Jesus is saying is, hey, yoke yourself to me, and let's get some stuff done. Hmm. But who's going to carry the majority of the load? Hey, Jesus. Jesus. Will you have things to do? Yeah. yeah. You can't just sit back and do nothing and expect him to drag you. That would be horrible, right? But yeah. well, what he's asking you to do is, hey, work in this rhythm. Now, what's the rhythm of Sabbath? Think about the order of creation we talked about last week. Six day, six day Jesus, or sorry, God created humanity. The seventh day, he rested with humanity. And day eight, we got to work. The Sabbath is not something we earn, it's something we embrace. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to working with Jesus, learn the rhythm, that, to live in that rhythm. That, that's not a part of our identity. It's it's an avenue or it's a it's a means of grace for us to learn to rest in his his grace and his identity, and then we get to work. It's not something you have to work for to earn, right? So part of this process is learning how to do that, being humil- humility, and all this other stuff, so we can rely on him. But then at the same time, we just simply get to this process of saying, "Okay, God, I'm going to trust you." Now, these next few passages, I'm not going to read word for word because it would be horrible. If I did, but Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about rest, and then he gives us two examples of how to interact with the Sabbath. It's, Matthew puts these two stories together back to back, in my opinion, to show us something. Now, part of what the Pharisees would do is they would say if, if breaking the law of the Sabbath is is not to work, right? And if working is sin on the Sabbath, and they would create this man made system called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah were these man made laws that would say, okay, here it is. And kind of like treated like guardrails. We have a very high-tech picture I'm going to show you. Tom's going to put it up here in a second. It's very high-tech, very complicated, right? So it's the stick figure and all this. But here's these guardrails that kind of demonstrates this, okay? So here, if you're the stick figure, and over here is sin, the Mishnah, these man-made laws that say, if this is what it means to work, then this is what you don't do, right? Part of them is healing on the Sabbath. That's not Old Testament. The Old Testament commandment is not to work. Yeah. The question became, what is work? Does that make sense? Yeah. So in most Jewish communities, walking less than a quarter of a mile is what we call a Sabbath day walk. Sabbath day walk is a man-made term because they had to figure out how to interpret this. Right. The main goal of them in making up the Mishnah was so that all, all of the Israelites, for a couple days at least, could have obey 613 commandments mm. so that they would be rescued now when i say that we think about well oh, it's not that big of a deal but here's the deal they've been literally ruled and occupied longer than europeans have been in north america mm. Babylonian, assyrian exile you have the uh, persians you have the medes you have the greeks you have the romans back to the Nabataeans and the parthian empire and now back to the romans this is their identity they are desperate trying to get god to respect rescue and honor them does that make sense mm. so they're like hey that's sin here's the guardrail the problem with the guardrail though it became so oppressive and restrictive that they had no clue how to actually interact with this. Mm. I men you may end it, you would never do this right we would never say here's what god said but these are the ways you should really live mm. like wearing skirts mm-hmm. or whatever fill in the blank right yeah don't drink this, eat this, all that. So here's the deal. When Jesus does this, he's walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and they're hungry. So what do you do when you're hungry? You eat. You eat. The challenge is on the Sabbath. So here he is walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath to go to synagogue, and they grab some grain, the, the weeds off the, off the wheat stalks and stuff like okay. that, and they start eating it. And the Pharisees see this, and they're like, what are you doing? You're working on the Sabbath. And then Jesus has this question in, uh, I think it's verse 6, he says this, don't you know what the scriptures say? Like, you guys are biblical experts. Have you not read your scriptures? Which is like asking a math teacher, you know math. Mm, right? Mm. So, here he is, and he's like, don't you know what this says? And he talks about David, and he does this. But then he also talks about, like, here are the priests in the temple offering sacrifices, and they're guilty of working, but God treats them as innocent meaning that's not. We think about sacrifice no, like The priest literally would literally cut the animals in half, like slaughter the animals. It's a lot of hard work. Manual labor. Yeah. And they're doing this. Right? And so here they, he's like, they're not guilty. When you're hungry, eat. Yeah. Right? That's the delight thing. If you get hungry and you want to eat something on Sabbath, delight in whatever it is. Right? This is usually my cheat meal throughout the week. I eat ice cream on the, on the Sabbath. Yeah. I do all this. Um, Usually have some kind of pancakes, cookies, or something like that. A lot of coffee. Like, I don't restrict myself on coffee at all on the Sabbath. Like, I won't touch tea, but I'll have a lot of coffee, as much as I want, right? And so, because I don't really care. What's the, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? i to stay awake? Okay. <laughs>
0: cool.
1: You know what I mean? So, if you're hungry, eat, delight. Do all that. Now it comes to the next one. He's in the synagogue. He's in, in, the, in the synagogue setting. And the Pharisees test him. Is it lawful to heal in the Sabbath? And there's a man with a shriveled hand. Think about in a manual labor type of setting. If you have a shriveled hand, you can only work with one hand. You're restricted in how you can work, right? And so Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, and they get all pissed off, right? They're like how how can you do this? I can't believe you did that. You're working on the Sabbath, and then Jesus has this reply to them: which is more important, the humans or the animal? And let's put this in perspective. We live in a culture that elevates. Animal rights over some human yeah. rights, yeah, and what does Jesus say? Which is more important? Mm-hmm. The question I always ask our son is, the sons, when we talk about this uh, stuff, it's like, who's made in the image of God? Animals or humanity? Mm-hmm. That's
0: good.
1: And it's not a legal issue; It's a hard shame. yeah mm-hmm. How do you actually look at humans? How do you actually look at animals? Do you value other humans more than your animals? And should you love your little animal, fluffy and all that? And if you have cats, repent now. But anyway, like, sorry. But if you, like, should you have a space for your animals? Yes, you should love your animals. Should they ever become more important than other humans? So, when it comes to work, do good. Now, here's the, here's one the of the challenges. I'm going to read something in Romans. I'm going to give this some context and we can read through it. Here and then, but I have to give some context about it. because, as as followers of Jesus early on lived this out, this became a tension point for the early church. Think about this: a third of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. So, how do slaves honor the Sabbath? How do people who work like some some communities within the Roman Empire had ten day work weeks, not seven day work? So how do, you, how do you do this, right? So in the book, Letter of Romans, Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 14. One of the best, ways, let me just give you some advice about how to read Paul, in my opinion. If you read the letters of Paul backwards, you see the themes. Like if you start at the end of his letter and you go all the way back, you start picking up on the themes because he has to get theological and fluffy and all that. But then you start at the very end, he's like, crap, I'm running out of time, so let's just put all this in here. <laughs> and then uh, you get this. So Romans chapter 14, is one of those moments where I think Paul's just like, uh, get to the point. And here's what I mean by this. So, in the context of the Roman letter, the early church was started in Rome. Paul did started People probably left Passover, Pentecost time, when Peter preached and all this, after the day of Pentecost to go back to Rome. And Jewish people who followed Jesus started the church. And the Roman church probably looked very Jewish and kosher. But then Emperor Claudius kicks all the Jewish people out of Rome because of some other issues. This is how Paul meets Priscilla and Nicola in Corinth because the Jewish people are exiled out of Rome, mm-hmm. expelled out of Rome. So now this church in Rome no longer looks kosher. There's now bacon, praise God. Now there's like <laughs> all this other stuff and they're not dealing with the Sabbath. But they kept these love feasts, they kept the Jesus meals. And it was probably in the, in the afternoon time of Sunday because that was the Lord's day. That's when Jesus rose from the dead. And all this, but the reason they kept it in the afternoon is because all the slaves had to work in the morning, get all their work done, and then they could go to church. Mm-hmm. They had to get all this stuff done and then they could show up. So they show up in these house churches, and now they're sitting down with some slave owners, some slaves, some wealthy people, merchants, all this other stuff, their business, their titles, none of that mattered. Because all they were there to do was worship Jesus
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to love each other and have communion and stuff like that. So now and ten years later, the Jewish people show back up, but they recognize, "Hey, this is no longer Jewish like." So now there's bacon. What do we do? Do we eat the meat, or do we only eat the vegetables? And if you read through Romans, you see this as a theme of like following Jesus, not about what you eat, not about like, what you drink, and stuff like that. And so now, now they start separating. Now there's a Jewish Christian house church, and there's Gentile Christian house churches. There's anywhere between 20 sorry 16 to 24 house churches going on, but notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another; another man considers every day alike. Each one should fully be convinced of his own mind. He who regards one day as special does not does it for so the Lord. He who eats meat does it for the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does it for the Lord as well, and he, and he thanks God as well. He has very—he has some non-negotiable things, and he's very like gray areas about how he, how different people worship Jesus. But here's what he would say: No one should lord it over how you celebrate the Sabbath. Should never be how everybody else should have to celebrate the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So when you stop, when you rest, when you delight, and when you worship, does not mean it has to follow the way I want you to. It means that you need to actually do some work and say, okay, how do I actually stop? How do I rest? What do I delight in? You probably don't like ice cream. I do, I'm gonna eat all the ice cream I want, right? Heather, she hates ice cream. I don't know if she hates it, but she doesn't eat it all the time. She wants cookies, right? And we have this running debate. Should we do the dishes or not? (laughs) Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, right? So, but but if you're gonna cook, Coke, have all the fun you want, but do you have to do the dishes to clean up afterwards? Heather says yes, I say no. Right?
0: And the other way that
1: we do this is this, and this is how I've learned how to deal with this. When I, was, when I did a ton of manual labor, the idea of doing a lot of manual labor on my rest, or my Sabbath, was off the chart. Like, I wanted to sit, I wanted to hang out, I just wanted to rest, right? Now that I don't do a lot of manual labor type things, now I find it like, kind of intriguing that I can find it restful to work of my hands. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. You need to find this out for yourself. And it's going to be different in each season. But here's the deal. Do not allow your arrogance to be like, you have to do it this way. Like, Paul would say you're way off charts. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do that. Like, don't make it a mandate for everyone else. But let's learn how to do this. The invitation is there. Practice this. And just let the, let your, the waters here for your soul... God, thanks for this day. Thanks for who you are and everything you've done for us. God, thank you that you are the Lord of the Sabbath, that you created the Sabbath for man. You didn't make man to honor this one day, but you set this one day holy and set aside just to be with your creation. And We thank you for that. God, would you help us to do this well? We will not get it perfect but help us to string through the the challenging points and to love each other as
0: we do this we love you god to you me and your greatest amen amen a visual that i can't get out of my head is uh, when it comes to giving my friend went to a church and the pastor was talking about offering and giving and he said now is not the time for short arms and deep pockets <laughs> and all I can see, like, because I'm a visual person, all I see is a guy with like T-Rex arms <laughs> and deep pockets. Because that would be me like, oh, I can't give because I can't reach my money. But <laughs> I'm going to use excuses like that. Um, but I'm going to ask you guys to get a little uncomfortable for a moment. Uh, this is our mission week, and uh, our mission is Destiny Rescue. So I'm, I'm going to read some facts from their website. Over a million children are exploited by sex trafficking. 70% of children trafficked are from the Asia Pacific region. Uh, 99 billion is generated by sex traffickers each year. That's 11 million per hour. And th- those are just the numbers that they can prove. That's not even <laughs> all the stuff that goes on behind what they can, what they can see. And uh, we get to partner with Destiny Rescue and help rescue children from sex slavery and help them restore their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's huge yeah. um, to help the innocent, right? Uh, the orphans and widows and take care of people. And, uh, yes, last year we rescued three, three children. And it, it takes $1,500 to rescue a child. So it's, um, I mean, and, and, and like, now it's not the time for short arms when you like you could joke about it, man, but it's like $1,500 can save some kids life. And you're like, oh, I have it, <laughs> but I don't want to get uncomfortable. Uh, and I'm not asking anybody to go crazy, but uh, we rescued three kids last year, last year. Let's try to beat that this year. Uh, let's do more. So um, we have these envelopes in the back um, with missions on it. If you would like to give, again, we're not trying to force you to do something. Um, but there are envelopes in the back to give, and these will go directly to, uh, and, and they're not shy on their, on their site. They say, uh, eight, eight, over 80% actually goes towards the rescue part and, like, arresting these guys and girls who are, ladies who are doing this and making sure they come to justice. And then the whole re- rehabilitation part. So, um, there are also bracelets in the back that, um, these children make. They, they teach them, uh, a craft or... Um, that They can use to restore their lives and so there's some bracelets in the back and you could take that as A way to remember that you're a part of something bigger um, so that's what, that's our, our mission we do that once a month and we get to be a part of that and um, that's awesome. I'm gonna invite you guys right? We're, we're, we're ending the service here, but this does not end church, right? We, we have the Holy Spirit in us we are temples where uh, we get to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us all week we get to be church all week, where we uh, spend our time, where we interact with people who aren't Christians, where we're in this world, or what, when we're at Dollar Tree, we get to be the church. So I'm inviting you guys, as we leave today, bring the Spirit with you and be the church. We love you here. We think You are supported and cared for. Be the church. Have a good week.